children ages three through second grade. You're dismissed to children's church. And Gene, thank you this morning for reading the scripture. We're jumping out of Genesis today to look at Acts chapter 9, verses 36 to 42. As we talk about women of faith. So have you ever wondered when Americans started celebrating Mother's Day? Do you know the history of this? I didn't until I read this illustration or found it this week. The holiday was born out of one woman's desire to honor her mother's life of sacrifice and grace. Born in 1864 in Grafton, West Virginia, Anna Jarvis witnessed the aftermath of the Civil War through a child's eyes. Her mother, Anna Marie Reeves Jarvis, had spent the war organizing women to nurse wounded soldiers from both the North and South, and generally attempting to hold her border state community together. After the war, Anna Marie started Mother's Friendship Days to reconcile families that had been divided by the conflict. Throughout her life, Anna Marie modeled the ideals of Victorian motherhood. She gave up her dreams of college in order to tend to an older husband and four children. She bore the loss of seven other children with grace. She taught Sunday school in the local Methodist church for 20 years and stayed active in benevolent work. Anna Marie's death in 1905 devastated her daughter. Two years later, Anna, the daughter, got the idea to found a holiday remembering her mother and all mothers whom she felt could never be thanked enough. Mother's Day was first celebrated in 1908 in Grafton, where Anna grew up, and Philadelphia, where she lived as an adult. Later in a resolution passed on May 8, 1914, the U.S. Congress officially established the second Sunday in May, in May as Mother's Day. So now you know, right? If you didn't know before this day, you now know how Mother's Day got started. It was somebody just honoring their mother uh, because of an incredible faith, um, uh, just an incredible desire to serve her community and those in her community. And so that's pretty uh, amazing. And, you know, as I think about that uh, for myself, you know, just recently my grandma John's passed away. And so the, the funeral service was all about a life of faith, how, how she just honored God with her life. And my grandma Hikes passed away many years ago, but her funeral service was very much the same where it was celebrating the life of a woman of faith who, who just followed the Lord all of her life and, and taught her children to do the same. You know, Judy's grandmas were also both women of faith. And the faith of all four of our grandmas was passed down to the next generation. You know, Judy and I are blessed and have been blessed to have mothers who are women of faith. They've served faithfully in their homes, their places of work, the church, and their communities. Here's just some of what these two uh, mothers have done. Sunday school teacher, children's church teacher, puppet ministry leader, good news club teacher, pianist, choir director, divorce recovery leader, and so much more. We could spend the rest of the day just talking about my mom and my mother-in-law who's here today. So They've uh, cared about and for other women and families during their lifetime. Now, the Lord has blessed me with an incredible wife who's been the greatest mother to our sons and daughter-in-laws. She's also been an awesome grandma to our granddaughter. We had her overnight Friday night into Saturday. It was a lot of fun. As a ministry partner, she served faithfully in the church and community. She leads our church in helping with the Upper Adams Food Pantry and the Hallelujah Party. 
And she's constantly thinking of ways to bless different individuals in the church, our community, and her workplace. Now, most of us probably have fond memories of our grandmas and our mothers. Perhaps there are those of us here today who can say that you're a follower of Jesus Christ because of a grandma, because of a mom. And so uh, you can be very grateful for that. That's why you're here today. Those of us who are married may see the faith of our wives through how they serve and minister to others. Now, but I also realize that not every one of us has experienced growing up in a family with women of faith. Our grandmas and mothers were, may not have been loving, caring, and nurturing. They may not have been followers of Jesus Christ. But my guess is that you're here today in church because of a woman of faith who invested in you. It might have been a man of faith too, but we're talking about women today. The writer of the book of Acts, who is Luke, shares about a woman of faith who ministered to the needs of other women in her hometown. These other women were sharing with Peter about the faithfulness, kindness, and care that she had provided for them. And when the supernatural happened to this woman, it pointed people to Jesus. And we can learn from her life, our big idea today, that godly women point others to Jesus. And so as we think about that, let's just pray for mothers today, and let's just pray for the message as well. Lord, we come to you today and we are so grateful for our mothers. We're all here because we all have a mother and we thank you for them. We thank you for those that have lived a life of faith and have passed that faith on to us. Lord, we're even grateful for mothers that didn't have that life of faith but took care of us and, and nurtured us. And Lord, we thank you for just women in general who um, who help to guide and direct us in our faith walk. We just pray that you would bless them today. Would you encourage and strengthen them? And so we just commit them to you. Lord, today we also pray for the message that you have for us. As we look at this woman of faith, will we learn what you want us to learn through it? Would you open our hearts and minds? Lord, I pray that we would be open to the Holy Spirit's prompting in our hearts. And so we commit ourselves to you, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be looking at faith in four different ways today as we see this passage of Scripture. The first one we find in uh, verses 36 and 37, which is faith through serving. And so let's look at those verses together today in Acts chapter 9. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated as Dorcas, who was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. And so we know where this is taking place. It's in Joppa. This is a, the, the city name means actually beautiful. And I can imagine that it was beautiful. It was on, right on the Mediterranean Sea. You can see that from this map. It's one of the two red ones there, right on the Mediterranean Sea. So it would have been beautiful. I mean, just imagine uh, being right on the edge of that uh, incredible sea there. And, and just we're going to show you some pictures here in just a minute too. It was a, a port city, but it was dangerous now, this is what it, it's now called Jaffa today, um, but this is the port uh, that they were talking about, but it was dangerous, and some ancient pictures of, of um, this port show a lot of rocks like in the port, so that's why it was dangerous. It was like trying to get a ship in there was, was pretty difficult. It looks like it's changed a lot over the years. It looks like it's a little more wide open today. But in, in the biblical account that's unfolding in Acts, um, Joppa is moving Peter closer to Caesarea where he will um, encounter Cornelius, a Gentile Roman centurion. 
And so that's going to be important because, you know, God is going to, here, while he's in Joppa, God's going to send this sheet down with like clean and unclean animals in it. And he's going to change uh, Peter's perspective on what is clean and what's unclean when it comes to Jews and Gentiles. So God is orchestrating all of this and moving um, Peter in the right direction, moving him from Luda to, or from Jerusalem to Luda, then on to, to Joppa and then to Caesarea. This port city would have had just an incredible trading industry, um, and that's going to come into play, I think, with Dorcas or Tabitha here. We'll see that. But first, Peter had a job to do in, in Joppa. There was a woman in Joppa who was a follower of Jesus Christ. Her name in Hebrew is Tabitha. In Greek, it was Dorcas. Both of those translated mean uh, gazelle. And they, inter- they interuse these, her names throughout this passage. We see her character here, though, as well. She was doing good, always doing good. And so those were acts of kindness, doing good deeds. And, and the second part of that was she was always helping the poor. And this is acts of mercy or charity. Bach in his commentary says, acts of charity refers to providing alms, acts of mercy through charitable giving. Almsgiving was highly regarded in Judaism. And then Bach goes on and he says, the detail suggests that she is wealthy and generous. So there's this robust uh, you know, uh, trade industry going on there. She's probably benefited as a result of that. And she's using not only her re- time and talents, but her resources, her wealth, in order to help the widows there in, in Joppa. And so she's exercising her spiritual gift of helps and service. Perhaps she was already doing this before she became a follower of Jesus Christ, but now she's doing it with uh, a purpose, with the spiritual meaning. She was no longer helping and serving for the sake of doing those things, and it reflected the transformation that had taken place in her life. The use of her spiritual gifts were pointing others to Jesus now. How many of us have seen that in our wives, our mothers, and our grandmothers, where their their acts of kindness and how they are serving, just they're pointing people to Jesus. And so you see, faith transforms our service. That's the first principle today. Fernando in his commentary says, many Christian women have distinguished themselves in God's kingdom by their service to the needy. And I was thinking, okay, well, let me just take a moment and think about who these people are. And the only name I could come up with was Mother Teresa. Can you think of others? I was really struggling. I was like, why is it so hard to think? Now, I'm I'm talking about on a a grander scale. We're going to get to our local church in just a moment. That was a little easier. But I'm thinking on this grander scale, I'm thinking, Mother Teresa is the only one I can think of that was serving the needy. And that's not to say that there aren't a bunch of other women doing that. But isn't that the point? They're not doing it for the recognition. They're not doing it to be uh, praised by human beings. They're doing it because of their relationship with Christ. They're doing it because they know that that's what God's called them to, to serve the poor and the needy. And so that's why we never hear about it. It's like they don't want to be glorified. They want to do it in the, in the quietness of a little village in a, in a country overseas, even here in the United States, just in the quietness of their community they serve. It was easy to find a list of famous women who have helped fight global poverty. I came up with a whole list, Michelle Obama, J.K. Rowling, Oprah Winfrey, Melinda Gates, Angelina Jolie, and a bunch more. And so they're looking for sound bites and photo ops and a way to promote themselves. 
how many of us can think of at least one Christian woman who is serving the needy? And this is where it was easy for me. I'm just thinking about our own church. We have the New Hope mobile food pantry that comes, and there are women that serve the needy. We have the Upper Adams Food Pantry that we serve at once a month, and there's women that serve the needy. We have the Gettysburg Soup Kitchen. We have women from our church that serve the needy. And guess what? There's women in our church that are doing stuff behind the scenes even now where they're just providing meals through our one commission here at church. Maybe they're not even doing it through that commission, but they're just doing it on their own. And that's just them using their spiritual giftedness to point people to Jesus, to encourage and strengthen those within their community. And so, women, I just want to thank you for allowing your faith to transform your service. And I think I speak for all of us guys today. Thank you for allowing the gospel of Jesus Christ to transform you. And so maybe that's the first next step that you need to take today is just to thank the Lord for the women who have used their spiritual gifts to do good and help the poor. You don't have to just hit that circle today and fill it in. Make sure that you talk to those women. They might be sitting beside you. You Or maybe you're going to see them later today. (laughs) And make sure to thank them. So when all of this is taking place, when Tabitha is, is serving the poor and taking care of them, she gets sick and dies. And, you know, we can think of that and go, why? <laughs> she was doing so much good. Why is this happening? It's for God's glory, as we're going to see in just a little bit. So about that time in the NIV can be translated as in those days. So again, it's while Tabitha was doing good and helping the poor, she got sick and died. But I think it's also because we see God orchestrating uh, Peter's movements. I believe, too, that it's referring to the time when Peter is in Luda, which was only a three-hour walk from Joppa. So it's, all this is taking place at this time. Tabitha's serving faithfully. Peter's in the area. This is all happening at one time for God's glory. And he was orchestrating everything at this time. And so what we see happen is after Tabitha passes away, they do what was traditional or customary, and that was to wash the body. Now, washing here is probably a general sense of preparing the body for burial. So it would have included like the anointing with oils and and perfumes and the spices that they would wrap in with the, the clothing as well. The grave clothes. And so that's a, the washing is more of a general sense that en- encompasses all of that. But then they do something that wasn't customary, and they place her in an upstairs room. Um, and why that's not customary is usually the body was buried before sunset on the same day as death occurred. But it seems like they're waiting here. There seems to be an exception to the norm. Bach in his commentary says, in the Old Testament, bodies in an upper room were often noted in resuscitation accounts. We see two, one with Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17 and one with Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 4. Both of them are talking about widows whose sons had passed away. They placed them in these upper rooms or upstairs rooms and then Elijah came and, and God resuscitated this, this boy and then when Elisha came, God resuscitated this boy. And so we see those things taking place as they're in an upper room because these these people are expecting God to do the miraculous. And I believe that's what's happening here too with the disciples. You see, they're keeping the body. The idea too was that for three days, 
uh, when a body was kept, it was kept for three days because there was the belief that, that after three days the soul had departed. So there's this um, keeping the body for three days was done in hopes that the soul would return to the body and the person would come back to life. And it seems here that there is hope that Peter will be able to do something about Tabitha's death. And the disciples in Joppa were expressing their faith through believing. That's the second point today. Look at verses 38 and 39. Peter went with, uh, yeah, went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and uh, showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while he was still with them. I missed verse 38, sorry. Uh, Luda was near Joppa. Let me go back. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Luda, they sent two men to him and urged him to please come at once. And then he goes and they take him to the upstairs room where the widows are showing him all of the garments that she has made. And so the, dis the disciples send two men to urge Peter to come to Joppa. I think this is just incredible faith that these disciples have. And they're showing. They were believing that Peter could do something about the pain and heartache they were experiencing at losing Tabitha. And that's why they put her in an upstairs room, I think, because it's like, we're not ready to bury her because we think Peter can do the miraculous or that God can do the miraculous through Peter. Maybe they had heard what he had already done um, just in Luda, and that's the story just before this one, how he healed someone. And so that faith was expressed through placing Tabitha's body in an upper room in anticipation of Peter's arrival. We can express the same kind of faith in God and his healing power. We can have that same kind of faith today. God hasn't changed. He's unchanging. He still heals. And I believe he still brings people back to life. We don't experience it here in the U.S. because I think that our faith isn't where it needs to be. But you hear stories in other countries of believers who, after being prayed over, have been resuscitated by the power of God. And they're brought back to life. Man, that's the kind of faith that we need to have. That's the kind of faith that we need to have as we come up on this, on this revival service is that God's going to do the supernatural. It would just transform us, wouldn't it? If we really believe that way. But unfortunately, I, myself included, I feel like, man, we are complacent and, and we don't really have that kind of faith. And so Tabitha's kindness and generosity are on display. When Peter arrived in Joppa, he was immediately taken to the upper room where Tabitha had been laid. And the widows that Tabitha had served and helped were there. And they're showing Peter the clothes and robes that they were wearing. It wasn't that they brought extra things to show. It was what they were wearing, and they're explaining that Dorcas or Tabitha had made them for, uh, for them. And it's probable that Dorcas used her own money to buy the material or the thread to weave and sew the robes and garments that she gave away. And so what an incredible testimony of a transformed life. And you see, God is pleased when we use our giftedness for his glory. As followers of Jesus Christ, I know we're not serving others for the recognition from other human beings. We're serving and giving so that God will be glorified. And it brings him great joy when we do that. And again, this morning, I want to thank women for faithfully using your giftedness for God's glory. When we faithfully use our giftedness for God's glory, it points others to Jesus. And Tabitha's life and service were pointing other, these widows to Jesus. And that takes us to our big, big idea again, that godly women point others to Jesus. The disciples knew where to turn for help, and so did Peter. We see that in verses 40 and 41. It's faith through praying. 
This is what God's word says. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. Pretty neat, huh? Faith through praying. Peter is simply following the example of Jesus he had been with Jesus for three and a half years, and during that time, he had witnessed Jesus raise three people from the dead. And Peter's actions are reminiscent of what Jesus did with Jairus' daughter, as we see in Mark chapter 5. Jesus sent everyone out of the room except for the girl's parents and Peter, James, and John. And then he speaks to the girl and tells her to get up. And Peter's actions we see here are very similar. He sends everyone out of the room. He speaks to Tabitha and tells her to get up. But there's one other thing that he does in between those two actions. He kneels down and he prays. Now, Jesus is God. So he, he doesn't, in that instance with Jairus' daughter, he doesn't need to pray to himself, but simply commands the girl to get up. But Peter recognizes that his ability to heal and bring people back to life wasn't from him. He knew that. He knew it was from God. And so he turns to God in that time. And, and so he sends everybody out and then he gets on his knees and he prays. Then he turns to the young girl and he speaks. And so the third principle today is this, that prayer is the first step to resolving every problem. And Peter knew it. I think we know it here. We don't know it here. We try to do things in our own strength. Peter knew where he needed to turn for help. God is all-powerful. He's the one who heals and gives life. God is all-knowing, so he's aware of our struggles, our problems, our difficulties. Mothers, he knows about our children who are pursuing the things of the world instead of the things of God and the heartache that you're experiencing through that. Mothers, he knows our fears and doubts and anxiety about becoming a mother for the first time. Women, he knows the frustration and heartache we have over not being able to have children. Women, he knows our desire to have a godly husband who will lead us spiritually. Women, he knows the relational difficulties we're having at work and in our family and in the home. Women, he knows about the physical difficulties and health issues that we're currently experiencing. And women, he knows exactly how we're feeling today. Aren't you glad? His desire is that we go to him first in prayer. And this challenge isn't just for women today, although we're focusing on women. It's for men, it's for children, it's for youth, teens. So that second next step might be for you today, and that's to turn to God in prayer about the struggles, problems, and difficulties I'm experiencing. Maybe you need to just do that today. And if you don't even listen to the rest of the message, but you just spend time with God, go ahead. <laughs> I'm not going to be offended. I'll never know. But maybe you need to just turn to him right now and cry out to him with that struggle, that problem, that difficulty you're experiencing. After Peter prays, he turns to Tabitha and he speaks to her. When What Peter says to Tabitha is only one continent different than what Jesus said to Jairus' daughter. And so in Aramaic, we see how close these two commands are. Look at them, they're going to pop up on the screen. Jesus says to the little girl, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And Peter says to Tabitha, Tabitha kum, which means Tabitha, get up. There's only one consonant difference, an L and a B, right? Pretty cool. Peter's following Jesus' example, and here we see it so closely. And then God 
resuscitates Tabitha. With all of the individuals in Scripture who are brought back to life, Pohill explains it's not a matter of resurrection, but of resuscitation, of temporary restoration of life. All those that we see that are raised to life in Scripture had to go through death again. On Thursday night when we were talking about this passage, you know, we were like, can you imagine these poor people? They're like, they're in the presence of Jesus. And all of a sudden, it's like, Tabitha, I'll know. <laughs> what? Get up. You've got to be kidding me. Right? Lazarus. Lazarus, come out. What? And they had to go through death again. And I think they probably were all thinking this. Like, Lord, can you take me in a chariot of fire? Can I just cease to exist? Right? Like Enoch? Like, I don't want to have to go through the pain of death again. Like, whatever illness Tabitha had that she got sick and died. Like, God, can you just, can you just take me? I don't know how Moses died, but it says that, you know, God buried him. So it's like, maybe they were thinking, hey, can you just take me one of those ways the second time? Now, resurrection, that only happened once, and that was Jesus. He's still alive today. He won over sin and over death. He sits at the right hand of the Father, and he intercedes for us. When we don't know how to pray, he prays on our behalf through the Holy Spirit that lives within us. Aren't you grateful that we serve a risen Savior who's still alive? So Tabitha opened her eyes and she sat up when she recognized Peter. Peter presents her to the believers and the widows alive. And the word of this incredible miracle spreads fast. Look at verse 42. And this is faith through sharing. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Isn't that neat? Presumably, the believers and the widows went throughout Joppa and shared the incredible news about Tabitha. But they're not only sharing that Tabitha was alive again, but how God had used Peter to resuscitate her. Their faith through believing had been rewarded by the Lord, and their witnessing brought repentance in many who heard. And so our fourth principle today is simply this, witnessing encourages repentance. When we tell others what we know and what we've experienced through a relationship with Jesus Christ, it encourages a repentance. As mothers, our desire is that our children know and follow the Lord. We model and teach our children how to pray before meals. We read them Bible stories before bed. We earnestly pray for them daily. We take them to church, to vacation Bible school, to kids club, to youth group, and other places where they can hear God's word. And as women, we show others a transformed life by the way we act and talk. We may share with others something miraculous that God has done in our lives or how he has answered our prayers for others. And then there's times where we actively share the gospel right from God's word. And so godly women point others to Jesus. And in these ways, we are witnessing about Jesus to others. And so the third next step today is this, to witness to others about Jesus where I live, work, and play. And it's not just for women. Guys, we need to do it as well. As we review this morning, has your faith transformed your service? I hope it has. Are you using your giftedness for God's glory? Is prayer your first step when difficulties come? And are you witnessing to others about Jesus? You know, there's several great opportunities to share with others about Jesus. First is just inviting them to church. Why don't you come to church with me? 
And then we have two revival services that are coming up that you can invite family members and coworkers and neighbors to. The one here on May 17th to the 23rd and the one at the Tomlinson's Old Time Herb or Farm on June 9th through the 11th. We can all share with others an answered prayer or a miraculous healing that we've experienced. That's another way to just share with others about Jesus. The neat thing about this story is those widows that were sharing with Peter all that Tabitha had done for them, how she had shown her kindness to them, how she had made these garments for them, they were able to tell her because God resuscitated her. We don't always get that opportunity. And so we need to make sure that we tell our mothers now while they're still with us how we love them and how we appreciate them and how we are grateful for their faith. As we close, I want to read this illustration to you. This lady didn't have that opportunity. A few years ago, I somehow ended up buying two Mother's Day cards. I sent one to my mother, and because I keep a three-year calendar, I filed the other one away in the May section of the next year. Sadly, my mother died shortly after I sent that first card. Now I have a greeting card that can never be delivered unless the U.S. Postal Service can find a way to get it to eternity. The more I've reflected on this undeliverable card, the more I've realized how it mirrors so much of life. We run into situations where we realize we can never again do what we intended. No matter how much we want to or may want to, we can't hold on to the past. A loved one dies and we grieve that we will never again hear their comforting, loving voice. Disease creeps in and and robs us of the ability to do what we once enjoyed. An accident occurs and in the blink of an eye, we lose some function that we took for granted. The word for these situations is finality. Finality is a hard word to say. In fact, we spend a great deal of energy trying to find ways around it. We play the if-only game. If only I try harder, it might get better. If only I act better, maybe there's still a chance. If only I pray harder, he might make it. But even prayer won't change some situations. My mother is gone, and the most fervent prayer won't bring her back. What prayer will do, though, is help me to remember that life is short, and I need to live a life of love while I can. I'm reminded that I should be grateful for what I have now, because it could be gone before I open next year's calendar. So love now, enjoy today, be grateful this instant, squeeze every drop of joy from each day, pray hard and love deeply. And if you can, send your mom a Mother's Day card. I hope that you're encouraged from God's word today about women of faith and about how godly women and point people to Jesus. And aren't you glad that that's perhaps what happened in your own life? And so as the worship team comes to lead us in a closing song, would you just bow your heads with me? Lord, we just come to you today. Thank you again for mothers. Thank you for the faith uh, of mothers and the faith of women in general that have guided and directed us in our walk with you. Lord, I just pray that you would be with them today. Would they just sense your presence? Lord, I pray that even for us as men, that we would take to heart the principles and and the action steps today. They apply to us as well. So Lord, just move by your Holy Spirit now. Work in each heart and mind. We ask this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Would you stand with me as we sing how deep the Father's love for us? Hey. 